Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Ah, uh, sucky now. Uh, this week, I've got the Scott Vernon on. I've, I've been trying to get Scott on for quite some time now, and I got him on. I finally, as I told him, he's one of my golden geese, gooses, g- g- guys, one of my golden somethings or other. Anyway, I was so happy to finally get him on, and uh, I know Bobby Ramirez is listening to this one. That's right. Finally, finally got Bobby to listen. Anyway, it's a big week. Um, I want to first mention, this is not a plug for anything I'm getting paid for, but Tracy Jordan was on not too long ago, uh, and they've got their virtual auditions on November 17th and 18th. You can go to nationalcollegeaudition.com, but they do some great work there, and they've also got tech stuff. Like you can, uh, if you're a designer, you can upload some links to your portfolio and things like that. Uh, so anyway, check that out. I'll put the link in the in the in the little description here. But again, not a plug. I'm not getting paid by them. I just thought I'd throw him a bone a little bit since I've got some listeners, and we all want our kids to try to succeed in college. At least give it the old one two. You know what I'm saying? The old the old the old what what do they, what do they say? The old like fighters chance. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, this this weekend. I've got ZFX coming in on Sunday, 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 Sunday. And so we load in all that fly stuff for Beauty and the Beast. And the beauty <laughs> of the ZFX thing is that they're really, they they typically load in the week of the show, you know, going into tech week, typically, maybe a little few days before that. But they had so much on their schedule that they said, hey, would you mind if we loaded in earlier, no extra cost? And they did. So if you're ever, you know, I don't know if ZFX wants you to know that. I don't care. Um, I'm not, they're not in my pocket. I'm not in their pocket. So if you're ever using ZFX and maybe you can be like, say girl, are you guys busy? (laughs) So anyway, uh, but that's going to be a big thing. Uh, I highly encourage, thanks to uh, Mel Hinosa uh, being such a, a great inspirer of my content, but I posted something and she was like, damn right, you better post some stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be better about posting about Beauty and the Beast. Posted some things about Hunchback of Notre Dame that closes this Sunday or today as it's as this drops. And uh, that was a big old show. Um, beautiful show. No, that, that show is very, very pretty uh, looks wise. And if you direct it well, it can be pretty sounding and acted, you know. But anyway... Uh, so we've got that. Also, you know, something unique to my world now, the private school world, the independent school world, is that we, uh, now this is not unique necessarily to the independent school world, but at Cooper, we have a closed grade book. So parents and teachers can't get on at any time during the day or at night or we early, we wee hours of the morning and check grades. They can't. They can inquire and they can email the teacher or ask the teacher what the grade is. The student can do the same thing. And so it's con- it's a constantly closed grade book. Now, that has its own positives and its own negatives, as everything does. Uh, I'm not going to get into that here. But one thing we do at Cooper is we do these parent-teacher conference days where we the day is designated to meet with the parents of 
your advisees. So most of the teachers have an advisory and they typically, most of the time, it's designed to be your advisory from freshman year to senior year. There are exceptions to that, but I'm with my advisory boys. I've got all boys. I'm one of the few that has all of one gender. Uh, and I, I had my boys all last year and we had a few new ones this year that infiltrated our group. Uh, and I'm happy with that, but, um, I see their parents a few times a year and we just talk about their kid. And so today, as I record this, I'm recording this on Friday. That was today. I did that today and I had 10 conferences. Um, so it made me wonder, like, it was great. You know, it's just, it is exhausting in its own special kind of way. Uh, because you, it's 10 different kids you talk about at, at, at length, you know, and, and, and 10 different parents and individuals that have their own concerns or questions and things like that about their own kids. So I was wondering, you know, would you, would you prefer one long conference or multiple short conferences? You know, like what would you, what would you prefer as a teacher, as an educator? So I don't know, just throwing that out there just to try to garner up some chat on the interwebs. Um, yeah, the other thing that happened this week, um, this one is kind of a complaint, uh, but in my master's program, I had to do a five-page paper, okay? not That's not the complaint, five-page paper, master's program, no big deal. Uh, but the paper was about how do you, how do you kind of analyze a show? And theater, when you see it, what what do you use in a show to decide if it is a good or bad show? Um, and it's and it was asking you to have seen a show recently within the past semester, or within the past few weeks, and use that show as reference, whether you liked it or not. So you get to you get to say, hey, you know, I, I typically grade based on these elements, and so in this particular show, I did or did not like it because of that particular you know, grading scale, I guess. And so I, man, I struggled to get to five pages. I got to four and I stopped. I was like, I, you know, one thing I don't want my students to do is BS through something, whether that be a paper or anything else, just because I said it needs to be a certain length. Like at, at some point you just, you don't have anything else to give. And again, kind of wondering if, people of teachers kind of feel that same way. If like, if you, you know, the, the, I think that's why some people say write a three to five page because some people just don't have five pages in them. And yeah, obviously I like to talk and I will write just as much as I talk. I will put down to paper as much as I have to say about a topic at hand without BSing. I used to do that in high school when I thought it was necessary, necessary, as they say in Canada. Just kidding. I don't think they say that in Canada. But anyway, I, uh, I, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get to five pages. So what is that? What in the hell does that have to do with Scott Vernon? Absolutely nothing. So I hope you guys enjoy this, this episode. That my, my t-shirts are still on sale, by the way. Putting the link in the, in the little description of this episode you know, follow me on the Twitter. I don't think a lot of people do that. Follow me on Facebook. Hey, you know, I've got TikTok too. Uh, and it's lit. It's bussin', as the kids say. It's jivin'. It's it's hip. It's uh yeah, all the all those cool things. So I I hope you guys enjoy this 
episode with Scott Vernon, it was one of those that's just, you know, I had to get it done. I had to interview Scott Vernon. There are a couple people I've reached out to that I feel I have to give that I no longer feel I need to get. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there, uh, just based on their reaction. So not everybody's a fan of the podcast or understands, um, what a podcast is necessarily. So, uh, yeah, you know, good times. Anyway, uh, TTEC register for that. I'm going to, I've, I'm going to throw out an email to some people soon about teaching at T-Tech, uh, thespians. The registration is closed and, uh, the thespians, Texas thespians, by the way, I don't think this is out of line talking about this. We don't get anything from this. We just, just for fun. Uh, Amy will ask us to give our guests, you know, as we get closer, give our guests as to the exact number of registrants for uh, festival. And this year we obviously have two. So we're guessing on San Antonio and Grapevine. It's just a lot of fun to see what uh, the other board members try to try to guess what it is. I asked if it's prices right rules because I felt some people were going way over. So I wanted to say, you know, $1 or one. Obviously, I did not. Uh, well, I don't know about obviously. Some people would think it would be something I'd do. But um, it's just fun to see uh, us guess. And again, we don't get anything from it except for just like bragging rights. And uh, it's just a fun little game. So uh, all that said, I'm reaching the 10-minute mark of my introduction. Bobby, I hope you enjoy this. And if you don't, I'm sure I'll get a text. All right, Scott Vernon, uh, it's your floor, buddy. Enjoy this week's episode. When I was in high school, I had a drama teacher whose name was June Porter, and her husband was the band director. I grew up in a little town called Spearman, which is 100 miles north of Amarillo. <clears throat> and when I was in high school, you played football. You marched in the band at halftime at football games. You went, uh, you did one act play. You did individual UIL events. You did everything because there were only 76 kids in my entire class. Uh, we had a, a lady in town that ran a little dance studio and I was real intrigued by lighting and, and stage design and everything. And she would always come to me and ask me if I would be interested in helping with to do her lights at the high school auditorium. So uh, with Mrs. Porter and her name was Kathy Ruprecht, the lady that did the, the dance uh, recital. Uh, they kind of instilled in me <clears throat> the desire for performance. Uh, I was really involved in, in oral interpretation. Uh, I, I did very well in UIL with poetry reading. That's back when we had a girls division, a boys division, but now I think they do it all together. Uh, and that gave me a, a sense of accomplishment of, of being successful in something. Uh, when I play my freshman year, we did a, a really strange play by Eugene Inesco called The Chairs. Uh, and of course, I was just a freshman. So there were all these seniors and everybody that were really involved. And so I was kind of in the background, but they went to state and that really, really, you know, put the bug in my brain about theater. Uh, that summer, then I went to the Texas Tech uh, summer workshop. So I went to that workshop my end of my freshman, my end of my sophomore, and my junior year. And then when I went to college at Tech, I helped work the the uh, the, the uh, workshop. Same time, I was I was majoring in ag. 
I grew up on a farm and a ranch and my father told me that as long as I kept my grades up in college, he would pay for my college education. Little did he know that I was not majoring in ag, but I was majoring in the theater education. <laughs> and uh, to make a long story short about college, uh, I worked with some of the really, uh, you want to say founders in UIL. There was Noyce Burleson, who was in Meadows High School, who was at State almost every other year. She came from a little 1A school and was just phenomenal. And she ran that workshop. Um, some of the college people that I worked with, uh, well, Agnes Moorhead was there. Uh, you know who, who Agnes Moorhead was? She was in Dora on Bewitched. And uh, she was quite into doing in In college, I, I ran into this, this professor whose name was Vera Simpson. And Dr. Simpson ran the interp team that traveled all over the country competing uh, in interp. And I was asked to join that, became part of that. I pursued my my degree in education. And um, finally, I got my degree. So I go back home uh, with my U-Haul behind my old car and tell my dad, you know, hey, I'm through. Here's my sheepskin, as he called our diplomas. And uh, he said, well, okay, now what are you going to do? Are you going to move out the farm, live out the farm, get married, raise kids? I said, no, um, I'm moving to Houston. You're doing what? I'm going to move to Houston and I'm going to teach at an all black high school. Now, mind you, that was a kind of kind of a shocker for uh, my father. But uh, that's when I got to work with Celie Turner uh, at MC Williams High School. Uh, I, in, my interview for that job, my first job, was really bizarre. I he was at a speech tournament with all of his students. And of course, Freddie Buckner was there. He was a student then at MC Williams and, and, and Norma Thomas and that whole gang of kids. And uh, we're at Lamar High School in Houston. And he's doing an interview with me at the same time. He's coaching the kids on what to do in their next debate round, their duet acting round, because uh, Lee did it all. But in that year that I worked with Lee Turner, I learned so much about educational theater and how to take kids that were uh, didn't have great home life uh, and get them involved in something to make them feel like they were worth something. And I always look back and say, you know, the teachers that I had in high school and college made me feel like I was worth something, that I could accomplish something. And it, it wouldn't have mattered if it had been welding or, 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 or branding cattle or, or whatever, but it just happened to be theater. And that, that's how I got bit by that bug through the influence of those people. Um, the summer after my first year of working at MC Williams, I worked uh, at the uh, Texas Shakespeare Festival in uh, Miller Outdoor Theater, and it was so hot that summer. We were building the sets for a comedy of airs and Hamlet, and of course, everything had to be done in reps, so the set had to match, and it, it was just, it was a lot of fun and interesting to work with. Uh, I worked with John Middens at that time, who was out at the, uh, doing a lot of the design work out there. Uh, and the phone call came that they were looking for a drama teacher in Galveston. And he walked into the shop and said, anybody here interested in going to Galveston? There's a job opening down there. So I thought, hey, that might be interesting. It's by the water. I can go down, you know, this, this West Texas landlocked young man's going to go live by the water. 
So off I went and interviewed for the job. And on the way home, uh, something just, I don't know, told me to stop and call uh, a man by the name of Leonard Gilbert, who was head of fine arts, and uh, give him a call and say, thank you. But when I called him, he said, oh, by the way, the job's yours if you want it. So I interviewed and got the job on the same day and it didn't have to wait. So here I am moving from Houston to Galveston starting the next school year. I stayed in Galveston for 35 years, uh, doing the same thing, teaching my kids, having a blast. Um, and I did a lot of things with, with, with children in Galveston that a lot of people don't get a chance to do in, in other situations. Uh, we traveled the world. We, you know, went to Japan as, as your friend Bobby Ramirez will tell you, I took, he was in a group that I took to Niigata, Japan to perform at, a, at their international uh, festival. We went to Norway, been to Norway three times with kids, toured Europe for 35 days in a bus with 30 high school kids, trying to teach them how to do laundry in a, in a bathtub because they all smell so bad by the time the, the trip was ending. Uh, and the majority of those kids that were involved in, in the programs in Galveston, you know, I didn't expect them all to become famous actors or, or go off and do professional theater, but most of them uh, remain friends today. And, and, you know, they call and they talk and they, they ask my opinion about things. And it's, it's, it's quite flattering to hear from some of them and to know that I became one of those people that was influencing like those people had influenced me. Uh, while in Galveston, I worked a lot with community theater, uh, the Upper Deck Theater. I met my wife there. We married. We have two sons. Uh, now we have three grandchildren. Uh, my youngest son, who was very active in UIL, uh, is a, he runs the uh, Ore Opera House in Ore, Colorado. Uh, and my oldest son, who was very involved in tech theater, is now the emergency management coordinator for Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And he writes training manuals also for uh, public schools and training for mass shootings. So he's quite busy these days doing a lot of the trainings. Um, after I retired from Ball High School, I then went to Lee College after about a year. And they had built a brand new performing arts facility. And they called and asked if I would be interested in coming running that. Well, they wanted to someone who had an, a little bit of, of insight in booking professional entertainment. So it, being a member of the uh, APAC, American Performers Association, uh, I would go to New York three or four times a year and go to see all these different performers who are wanting to be booked into different performance venues. And so I did that for five years. And then their big grant money that Italy College kind of fitted away when the energy uh, crisis came about. And so that dissolved. In fact, recently they have, uh, are starting to restart it. And one of the young, young ladies that I worked with uh, there at Lee College is now the director of the performing arts facility. Me, I'd go and I'd judge one act plays in, in the spring, have a good time, 
And in the meantime, I, I bugged my wife, who's still teaching at College of Mainland, by staying home, cleaning house, doing fun things, playing with my bulldog, Mac. Um, and that's basically has been my life for a long time. That's amazing. Uh, so I wrote down a lot of things. Um, what is your What does your wife teach at Com? She teaches film. Okay. My, my wife is a very very active filmmaker. In fact, uh, one of her films uh, won the the big forty eight hour film festival honored, and we went to the Cannes Film Festival in France. Wow. And uh, that was amazing to yeah. see that 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 whole thing runs. So we were there for about a week and a half. And while we were there, I had a heart attack. Oh. Didn't know it. <laughs> Came home and said, I still don't feel real good. Went to the doctor and I had a, a triple bypass. I had 300% blockages in my heart. Wow. It's a wonder I didn't die on the airplane coming home. But now I'm doing pretty good. Wow. I did not know that. How long ago was that? Uh, that was about eight, nine years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Jeez. Uh, well, I mean, that's... If that's not a sign that you need to stick around, then I don't know what is. I mean, that's, wow, that's great. I mean, good for you for surviving a, a plane trip, too, with that. So that's oh, crazy. It was interesting. What a, what a, what a story. So, um, all right. So I, I wrote a few questions. I never write them in any, in any good order of how I want to ask. But I want to start with the most the, – the question I wrote down last, actually, which is about APAP. Um, when did you when did you join the Association of Performing Arts? It, when and why did you join? Uh, may I ask? Okay, in in order to be able to book uh, performers and, and go through the uh, not for profit organizations, yeah. you really have to be a member of those organizations in order to have insight and access to watch those performers come in and do little snippets of what they do in order to get you to book them. It's like going to TETA and going to the exhibit area. There will be an exhibit area and it's usually held at the uh, Hilton hotel on uh, Avenue of the Americas in New York. It's a huge hotel and there'll be three floors of nothing but booths of different types of, of entertainment and performance venues. Uh, the Broadway series is there the um, uh, off-Broadway shows like uh, Potted Potter, the Harry Potter yeah. show that goes around, Shock-Headed Peter, and all of these uh, music performers that would be there, uh, Yanni, I mean, from, from, from the big big names to the, to the little bitty names, uh, Arturo Sandoval, who's a big jazz uh, trumpet player, uh, they're all there. But there are also the agents there that are touting their performers, wanting you to uh, to book them, and so you get a chance to uh, haggle prices and negotiate contracts uh, there. Where did I learn all that? I learned it in Galveston when I was uh, working at the Opera House for a little bit with Maureen Patton, who runs the Grand Opera House in Galveston. Yeah. Oh, I also ran the uh, the uh, Strand Theater for a while. And which was which is now the East End Theater right. in Galveston, across the street from the Tremont House. So, did you ever do uh, Galveston summer musicals? I worked one summer with the Galveston <laughs> summer musicals. Yeah. Uh, the Galveston summer musicals had a lot of political yeah. problems. Yeah. I, I worked there a couple uh, a couple summers as well. 
So yeah. there was a, a man that was called the sleaziest man in Texas, which we may not have put this in this interview, but uh, everybody was enthralled with Sherman Moody, yeah. who uh, kind of controlled everything out there. Uh, when when Mary Moody would show up and sit in the golden chair in the audience, you know, and uh, uh, I can't remember the man's name that did the snake handling. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I you know anyway. I, the snakes were scary out there. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I spent a couple summers out there because uh, my tech director, who I learned from in high school, uh, did shows out there in the late 90s and early 2000s. And so uh, it wasn't yeah, a very... It had, ch- it had changed a lot by yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't a good sales pitch on his part because he said, you get to work outdoors and we're going to build scenery inside of a Pepsi can. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, I still, I still took the bait, but yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember Paul Green, who was writing The Lone Star that was supposed to be the big hit, yeah. would be a little inebriated while he would sit there and try to write. <laughs> the show ended up being three hours and 40 minutes in links. It was, it was a, well, it, it was not a pleasant experience. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, it, I mean, some of those shows were decent, but yeah, it was anyway, we can get off that topic, but, uh, oh, no. <laughs> what, uh, what type for you, you, you said yourself, you were a landlocked kid pretty much. What type of shock was it to go to get initially go to Galveston? I understand you were there a uh, long enough time to pretty much become a, a native, but how much of a shock was it initially to you when you Galvin, first Galvin- Galveston was not a, not a, not a big shock. Oh, okay. It was, it was my first job that was quite the, the cultural difference. You know, here I am. I went into a school that was a black high school. Yeah. And back then we had a thing called singleton ratio. Have you ever heard of singleton I, ratio in your no, education classes? Uh, that's where they tried to get around integration by putting so many white teachers into the predominantly black schools. So uh, there were a lot of things with that. And but here I was in a, going to a school that had all these black children, and I came from a school that had none. So I had to learn a whole new culture in order to communicate with these kids. And there was, you know, a Freddie Buckner and, and, and all right. that, that whole group that, that were just wonderful kids. They were, it didn't matter what, if they were black, white, brown, green, or orange. Right. Uh, they were all, they were, they were good kids. Right. So that, that was hard to say. Going to Galveston, Oh, I guess the hardest thing is there was such a cultural difference in Galveston. There was the very wealthy and the very poor. And there was very little in between. Right. It was those that ran the entire tourist industry that were very wealthy. And then those that served those industries that worked for them, you know, and of course, we had UTMB, which brought in a lot of, of low-income people into Galveston because of health care, right. uh, that being the largest state hospital. Uh, and I had a lot of kids that, that would come into my program whose parents had moved to Galveston simply because of UTMB. Right. Uh, I had one young man whose father was a newscaster and won an Emmy Award for, he was also a storm chaser, and won an Emmy for shooting these these wonderful uh, pictures of tornadoes and he had epilepsy and he was one of the first uh, young men to have an implant device that would 
uh, had a magnet that you would run over this device to, when he had a seizure that would stop the seizure. Wow. Well, he also had a dog that would sense these seizures coming on. But when you turned on the sensor, the dog couldn't sense it. And it was, it, it was okay. But Jake, he, he still, we still communicate today. He does live in Galveston. Right. Uh, and he wanted to be an actor so bad that he was so afraid that he would have problems with his epilepsy because he would, you know, he'd fall out. He fell right. off the stage two or three times. And I put, put, put him in shows. Right. And so that gave him some type of hope. There we go back to that stuff again. A feeling that he accomplished stuff. So, you know, uh, and then the, the wealthy ones. I have a, a student whose uh, play that she wrote uh, is getting ready to be a part of the Alley Theater's uh, new play series. And uh, it's a musical called uh, Cowboy Bob that has been workshopped in New York. And um, Molly Murphy was one of the cast members of the show, Playboy of the Western World, that we won state with uh, back in 2010, 2011. No, 2002. We did Equus and went to state in 2010. Um, but, you know, those kids that go off in, from the wealthier families were the ones that would usually become more involved because their parents could afford those sure. wonderful schools to go to. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So you also mentioned that you uh, traveled the world with your students and you said you went to Norway three times. I've, I've never, you know, I've heard of, uh, and I've gone to Edinburgh uh, and I've traveled to China because governments uh, swapped, you know, pretty much uh, uh, visits, pretty uh, students, right. you know, uh, but I've never heard of Norway and that's intriguing because I work at a private hey, school and, you know, here, here's the deal. Yeah. Back when Eisenhower was president, he set up these organizations for sister city, you know, where you do exchanges. Right. And Galveston has two sister cities, one in Niigata, Japan, and the other in Stavanger, Norway. Uh, well, Stavanger, Norway is like the oil capital of Norway. It's right on the North Sea. Uh, it's where all of uh, the big Conoco, Enron, big, big oil business there. And uh, to make uh, one of the stories kind of funny, we had just got back from Japan and I, a, a beautiful lady walks into the auditorium during a rehearsal. And I thought, who is this person walking in? I mean, she was gorgeous. And she asked one of the kids who, where I was, and she had this Norwegian accent. And I thought, who's this? Well, Bobby Moody, we're all familiar with the Moody's had married Ingrid Moody, who was a Norwegian from Stavanger. Her father was part of the oil business. And so they were setting up the first exchange between Galveston and uh, and, uh, Stavanger. So they had heard about the success we'd had in Japan. So they were coming to invite us to go. And that's how we got invited. And so we went and we spent 10 days in Norway performing. And if you don't know anything about Stavanger, uh, that's where Ibsen's actually from. And there's a huge theater. They have a beautiful theater facility there, the National Theater. And uh, we did a lot of performances there. Their schools would perform and our kids would perform and it would be packed with people. And 
Uh, we had a big Texas Days in Stavanger parade, and uh, the kids just felt like they were they were celebrities yeah. while they were there. Um, That's cool. And so we did that three times. Well, I it, since then they have gone. Galveston has gone eight or nine times, but it's not always the drama kids that go. It'll be the, sometimes the choir. Sometimes it'll be the orchestra. It just depends on what they want to do to kind of move it around. That's really neat. That's, yeah, that's why I asked. (laughs) I I had no no idea. The the government, the the sister city organization, paid, the first time we went, paid for everything. Right. So the second time that we went, that's when we spent 30 days going all over Europe performing. Got it. And so each kid had to raise back then $1,500. Which included all their housing, their food, everything, airfare, return, the whole shebang. And uh, today you can't do it for less than like ten thousand dollars a kid. It's horribly expensive. But uh, I can remember uh, stopping in the middle of a of a town square, unloading the bus and performing musical numbers out in the middle of this town square, and we did it all over. It was just. Prague. We were there when the when the the wall was torn down. Uh-huh. Uh, they had just opened up uh, Prague, so we were able to go into Prague. And there's a whole story about all of the the country prostitutes mugging the bus <laughs> as we were driving here. There's all kinds of stories from wow. those trips. That's yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I wish you could do it like almost annually. You know, you you oh do that, I know, yeah, but. You can't, because uh, like you said, it's expensive. So I've oh, yeah. I've got three more questions for you. One is kind of a fun question, and the other two are somewhat sentimental in a way. But I'll ask you the fun one first. Uh, are you a Texas Tech football fan? Oh yeah, we just beat yeah, somebody we, that's big. What I was, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, this is going to come out a couple weeks after the fact, but it's still something we're celebrating. But I, I got to say, you guys, you guys also beat UH, um, which is where I went to school, and uh, but then the next week you forgot about that and beat UT. So, um, yeah, yeah good for you. Anyway. Ah, uh, yeah. Go Red Raiders. I don't have a question. I don't have a question off of that. I just wanted to know if I was going to end this podcast happy or sad, but, um, <laughs> so the two kind of sentimental questions I have, uh, the first one is the, the well, they're, they're both the same question, but they're two different endings. Uh, the first one is where do you think you'd be without one act play? And then, uh, the second question, sort of a follow-up, is the same thing, but without Seeley Turner. Wow, where would I be without one act play? <laughs> one act play was such a, such an important part of teaching to, for me, because it was that one thing that I could say to my kids, you know, football team wins. You dedicate yourself, and you can win by doing your best. You know, it doesn't matter if you get the trophy, doesn't matter if you're the one, but you're going to win if you do a good job. And that's the way I, I always felt about it. I'm My first four years at, in Galveston, we didn't win. You know, we were up against Richard Hoag at Lamarck, who was going to state every year. And uh, once we did start winning, then we went up against all those Clear Lake schools where Debbie Bentley was at Clear Lake doing Children of a Lesser God for the first time. It was just phenomenal. Uh, but you, you stick it out. And I taught my kids to, you know, stick it out and we'll, we'll do well. And uh, it gave me the drive to keep teaching. Uh, you know, Lynn Murray, 
was such a great influence on me uh, in saying, you know, you can do it, just, just, just keep after it. I yeah. think that we held the record for the, the largest number of alternates to state from region <laughs> of any other school. Uh, then finally, when we first got out of, out of region, we won state. And uh, uh, I, was, I was quite thrilled with that one. Uh, but UIL just, one act play just built families. Right. It right. built camaraderie. It built all kinds of things. But theater does that in its nature. It is, it, that's what it does. Uh, there are a lot of people that I think are in, into doing UIL one act play simply for their own egos yeah. and yeah. not for the children, not for the kids. What are the kids, you know, getting out of it? Yeah, I enjoyed winning. I did. I'd like to see the smiles on their faces. But there was also the wiping of the tears when they didn't. Right. But that's part of life. You learn, you know, that you're not always going to succeed in the way you want to succeed. But what did you learn from that experience? Um, and, you know, I fought the fought battles with for kids. And other teachers would tell you, you don't mess with Vernon's kids or Vernon will mess with you. <laughs> um, because my district was pretty cut, cutthroat. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty tough. Uh, I was the first director to do Amadeus when it was first released. And um, I did it two years in a row for the simple reason that we were invited to perform main stage at the International Thespian Festival in Muncie, Indiana. And I just couldn't raise all of the money that it was going to take to do the costuming. And that show was expensive to do then. And I had people who were calling that, I guess they were jealous that I was seeking professional assistance and going on and on and on and on and on. And it just, just drove me up a wall. Poor Lynn Murray was calling me the other day. Did you do this? Did you? I said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, he laughed. Put on that, that voice. It, it was kind of a joke when he would, he would call the house and my son would answer and Austin would go, Hey dad, it's God's on the phone. That's great. <laughs> and I would laugh. And, you know, during UI, I made good friends. Uh, Charles Jeffries, Luis Munoz, and they were all at MacArthur High School. I'd take my kids there and we'd go do the clinics there and have a good time. Thespian Festival, uh, we'd perform there. But I mean, I made a lot of friends. and I, I really don't know where I would have been if I hadn't made those friends. It'd been a lonely life, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess similar, because Seeley Turner's probably one of the most respected names uh, in the state of Texas and maybe even beyond, but definitely in the state of Texas. Uh, wh what kind of impact did he have on you? Uh, I know that's hard, to, that's hard to answer in, uh, in a short amount of time, but yeah. Okay. I learned not to let people run over you from Seeley Turner. He had, to, he had a hard battle to fight because of the school he was at, because of the situation that he was in. And, and during the late 70s, then people didn't care about the arts in the public schools. It was football. And, and you that's where all of the energy was going. That's where things were spent. He had kids going to, the, to California to do their, their uh, Black history programs and going all over. And where he would get the money, 
and he would dig ditches to get the kids money to go go do stuff and i learned from that man that if you want your children to succeed you got to pitch in and be a part of what they're doing and he was there he was you know back before we had that 8 hour ruling thing he lived at that school he was there 24 hours a day and I just, I respected the man for that. In his later years, I can remember when, when he started getting a little forgetful and uh, he would call me on the phone and say, you know, I hear you're at Lee College now and I, I think I need, need to come out there and teach for you. And I said, Lee, that'd be wonderful. Come on out here and teach. And he'd come out and he'd, we'd visit a while and he'd forget about what he was out there for and we would just kind of go along. But he became a good friend. Yeah. And, uh, he had his opinion about things and he would wouldn't hesitate to let you know what his opinions yeah. were. Uh, but again, you didn't mess with his students. You know, that was a time that was really difficult, especially for black kids. And they were competing at these speech tournaments, which were predominantly upper class white kids that were out there competing. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's when, uh, Cecil Pickett and uh, Ruth Denny yep. and, and all of the, the upper people were doing these multi-million dollar one-act plays. And man, he was scraping together nothing to do phenomenally acted shows. Yep. So, well, you know, I miss Lee. I miss him. I miss seeing him. Yeah. Uh, especially sitting in the bar at TETA. <laughs> but uh, uh, he was a great man. He gave me my chance. Well, I, I want to get you out of here on this. Um, I've started teaching future theater educators at the University of Houston. Uh, and something that I've I've really enjoyed is just kind of instilling my well, I, I was about to say humor, but that would have been a Freudian slip, but, uh, the knowledge that I have and humor on some of these kids about just like what to expect, you know, what they don't, what, what Harry Wong doesn't teach you in, and, uh, p professional development classes and things like that. Uh, what is something that Scott Vernon now, uh, would love to tell first year teacher Scott Vernon, uh, a, a bit of advice to tell, to tell that version of you so that you don't uh kind of panic or have anxiety or freak out or worry about the next day don't let administrators run your classroom okay let them assist you in teaching your children theater but not just theater about who they are and what they can be Administrators can ruin new teachers in a day mm. by the way they handled uh, a, a disciplinary problem. You know, there are some administrators that do not care about the arts. Unfortunately, they're there to collect a paycheck. They could care less about the kids. Mm. I think that that's one of the biggest problems that, that teachers are facing right now is that there's no support from administrative staff in educating children on being human beings. It's we're gonna teach a test. Mm -hmm. We're gonna teach these concepts. You sit there, you be quiet, 
and you do this worksheet and this is what you're going to do. Don't question me. Well, don't we learn as human beings through questioning? Manu.